Romans 8:11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Our God, the most high God, doth rule in the kingdom of man. He raises up kings and rulers, cast down appointing all boundaries and times. The power he gives to whomever he will, but he has not control from on high. God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. Our God, the most high God, doth rule in the kingdom of man. The proud he collapses the holy Submission of what he demands. The nations who willingly humble themselves will be the dominions that stand. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Our God, the most high God, doth rule in the kingdom of Against it, hell's gate shall never prevail. His throne will be left to no other. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Our God, the most high God, doth rule in the kingdom of man. That throne sits on high in the depths of his heart. A warfare with weapons to carnal offend, a tyrant our king but our father. God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. Our God, the most high God, doth rule in the kingdom of day of Pentecost came, I love this sermon that is recorded here for us that Peter preached. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 24, now remember, this is in the book of Acts after Jesus has already uh, died, he's already been buried, he's already raised up from the dead, and he already went back up into heaven. And after all of those things, what we get here is Acts 2, verses 16 through 24. Peter said, No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And then if you skip on down to verse 19, uh, it's quoting Joel. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this, okay? L listen, this is how Peter explains what was happening uh, right there in their midst. 
Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by wonders, I'm sorry, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I love this sermon. I love what is, is proclaimed right here because Peter is going back to what, what Joel said. Joel told them, the people of his day, what the Spirit of God was going to do in the last days. And Peter is saying, look, the Spirit of God has already come. The Spirit has been poured out on all people. And we see that Jesus has already done what he came here to accomplish by this point in history. And what I want us to do is Kind of look at some of these signs, though, some of these miracles and, and wonders and all. Uh, now, you uh, might or might not be aware of this and all, but uh, this upcoming week is going to be uh, kind of the week leading up to Easter. You probably were aware of that, but it's also, it just so happens to fit that this is actually the time period in which, you know, if Jesus were uh, were to be alive here and, and going through these activities with us, you know, I, I love kind of thinking about it like this because, you know, on Easter, it's supposed to be whenever he raised it from the dead. Well, you back that up. This is the Sunday right before he raised it from the dead. This would be also the time that he comes in that triumphal entry. He comes in, everybody is is praising him, calling him king. But what I want us to, to focus on today is some of these signs that are given. Because even back in Joel's day, God said that he was going to show wonders, he was going to show signs, and I want us to look at one of these particular signs, and I want us to think about it today, and maybe kind of realize the, the huge significance about what all is taking place, even though I'm not sure that we exactly understand everything that's taking place. I think that we can at least take a step back and recognize how wonderful of a thing it is that happened with Jesus on the cross and one of those signs that was connected with him. And this sign that I'm referring to, it has to do with this. It actually has to do with the saints of old. So I want us to think about the saints of old. Now, I don't know exactly what comes to your mind whenever you, you think about the saints of old, but you know I do just want you to take a moment and, and think back. You know, Are there any holy people that are described in the Bible who, you know, you just kind of thought, well, you know, it'd be great to just sit down at a table with them sometime and to hear about their stories, to be able to, you know, to uh, to share a meal with them and, and share these stories and to hear, you know, from them what their perspective was, you know, what they were going through. You know, what about the people like like Abraham or Isaac and, and Jacob or, or even people like Moses and Aaron and some of those other prophets, you know, you just kind of wonder... How would that how would that dinner be if we were to just sit around and talk with them about how their experiences were and what God uh, brought them through? So I want us to think about the saints of old, and I want us to see kind of an odd little little passage that is connected with Jesus when he is on the cross and the events surrounding that. So we're going to go to that part uh, of time period whenever Jesus is actually led to be crucified. And some of the events surrounding, uh, surrounding that found in Matthew chapter 27. So let's look at that together now. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 37, going down through verse 44. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. 
Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. You see that, you know, this is the, the time that is speaking of when Jesus was, was hung on the cross, you know, what all he went through. And look at all of the, the shame that people are. You know, I really, I've kind of voiced this before, but I don't know what type of a person you are if you're going to make fun of somebody who is dying. But, I mean, that's exactly what they're doing right here. Jesus hangs on this cross, and he's got a rebel on his right, a rebel on his left, and that's how he is going to die. And even while he's taking his last breaths, and I mean, everybody knows this, they're still mocking him. They're making fun of him. I mean, even the people who are hanging on the cross near him, you know, the cross is next to him. They are also uh, heaping insults on him. Now, I, I know that if you want to get technical, Luke talks about how one of those uh, did uh, did make fun of him, but then the other one actually repented. But that's what, that's what Luke focuses on. Matthew just kind of makes the statement that even those people who were with him and crucified him, they heaped insults on him too. Everybody is just mocking him, making fun of him, and this is Jesus. He's the king of the Jews. He rightfully deserves the best, and he's getting the absolute worst right here. But it continues on, and it kind of even gets a little worse than just this. Because Jesus not only faces all types of mockery from humans, but he even feels it on so many more levels than that as well. Look with me at Matthew 27, verses 45 through 50 now. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. You know, in these verses, we see that in Matthew's gospel, in, in, in Matthew's record of this, this is when Jesus dies. This is what he experiences. He dies in darkness. He experiences this darkness that's found in verse 45. And we see that this darkness is so deep. And this darkness is, is a type of darkness that perhaps could even be felt because in verse 46, Jesus even cries out. This mistaken thing, you know, he says, Eli, Eli. So, you know, people think that he's calling out for Elijah. He wasn't. He was quoting Psalm 22 by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as you look at that psalm, you see that it is a psalm that gets dark in very many different places. And yet it starts off with questioning, why has God forsaken me? Jesus apparently felt like he related with that psalm at that time, that it felt as if God had forsaken him. I mean, you see this darkness that Jesus is experiencing in this moment. This darkness that he feels like God has left him. And I know that perhaps some people who are going to be listening to, to this video and, and watching this video, perhaps you felt like that before. And to that I would encourage you, keep reading in Matthew's Gospel. 
and see that that's not the end of the story for Jesus and it does not have to be the end of the story for you either. And I also would encourage you, take a look at Psalm 22. It starts off, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But you see glimmers of hope all throughout it because it all is pointing to this moment in history whenever Jesus was here on the cross. He was in darkness. He was feeling it, the weight of all of these things coming to him. People were even misunderstanding him in verse 47 and they start saying, well, he's calling for Elijah. Now, I think that one of the reasons why uh, Matthew records this about that misunderstanding that, that, oh, he's calling for Elijah. Think about the other times that Elijah has appeared in Matthew's gospel. He appears kind of in two main different, different times. One of them is that Elijah was supposed to come before the Messiah. And Jesus had already revealed that Elijah did come. He came in the form of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus, making straight the way for the Lord. So that's one of the times that Elijah appears. Another time that Elijah appears in Matthew's gospel is on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember on that mountain whenever, you know, uh, Jesus, he was, he was transfigured, and then also Elijah, and then Moses were there with him. And they were talking about the very things that Jesus was going to do in Jerusalem. Apparently, Elijah knew ahead of time, and Moses knew ahead of time what Jesus was going to go through, and they were kind of giving him a bit of encouragement, last-minute kind of pep talk before he endured the things that he was going to endure in Jerusalem. Yeah, it started off great whenever he rode into Jerusalem. Everybody is saying, Hosanna, you know, save us, and praising him as the Messiah, and then they crucify him in a week. But these are the things that Jesus experienced in this moment. And that Elijah statement, it does point toward that, that Elijah was going to come before the coming of the Lord. Elijah did come, and the Lord had come, and the Lord was hanging on the cross, dying right there. And we see that even in his final breaths, they're still kind of mocking him. They are saying, well, let's just see if Elijah's going to come and save him. No, that's not even what he was talking about. And then in verse 50, we see that he gave up his spirit. But the chapter's not done. And the story most certainly isn't either. Verses 51 through 54, now we get into some of these signs, some of these odd signs, actually, and I want you to sort of think about the meaning behind some of them. When we get in verse 51, we read this. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were with him who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that uh, that had happened. They were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. See these signs that are talked about here? You know, I started off by looking at that, that quotation from Joel that, that Peter quoted on the day of Pentecost. And he spoke about signs that were going to be accompanying here. These are some of those signs. We see that the curtain was torn in top to bottom. People might make slightly different things about that, but I think it, at the very least it, it sort of speaks that the very reason for the temple and that curtain was supposed to separate the people from God's presence. We don't need it anymore. And, you know, you could see it, you could take it different ways. But in Jesus, the, the curtain is no longer needed. We see that there was an earthquake that took place in verse 51. We see everything, you know, earth itself is being shaken to the core in this moment. And then we see this odd thing. The saints of old are here. They're called holy people. 
The tombs broke open. Think about that. Now, I don't know exactly how this would have been because you hear this and it speaks about the rock split and the tombs broke open. Okay, so it appears that that happened right whenever Jesus died. Okay, these seems to be all these signs that, that took place. Now, I don't know, maybe they happened over, over a little bit of time, but whatever the case, the tombs broke open. Whose tombs? Well, it says the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Wow. What do you think that would have been like? Do you think that might have got a little bit of attention? Well, I don't know how much attention it got just yet because apparently the tombs were broken open and they they were raised to life, I guess, but it doesn't happen until verse 53 or it's not stated until verse 53 that they actually came out of the tombs. Since they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Jesus was not the only one who came out alive and started appearing to many people. Now, this is huge significance surrounded by Jesus, of course, because Jesus' resurrection was different than all these other resurrections that we read about in the Bible. You, you know, there's there's a handful, I guess you might even say a couple of handful of occasions in the Old Testament and the New Testament where somebody is raised up from the dead. But it's different than Jesus' resurrection because Jesus is called the firstborn from the resurrection, you know, the firstborn from the dead. He is the one who conquered death. He is the one who, I guess if you want to look at this sign and see something about it is that that everything that we we know of and that we think of and, and stuff about the, the divide, you know, this, th there's no way to come back from death, right? But in this moment, they see, well, there is some hope of coming back from the dead. And we see that some people, some holy people, they have gone into the holy city. Now, I don't know if these are like, you know, recently um, dead people. Like, I mean, would this be like uncles and aunts who come and like visit their family? Or is it like Abraham? Or is it, you know, I, I don't have all of those answers because Matthew doesn't tell us that. Apparently the Holy Spirit didn't reveal those things to him. He just knew tombs broke open. The saints of old, these holy people, they had died, and now they were raised up to life. They appeared to many people. How do you think those stories went? Going back to that thought you know, before, if you could share a meal with someone famous from the Bible, or just you know, anybody from the, from the Bible, who would it be, and what would you talk about? It seems like maybe some people at least had opportunities that they could do that whenever these saints of old came to life, showing that... Jesus' death and his resurrection, they pointed to something big. Everything that, especially a Jew, you know, living in this time, everything that, that, was, that was crucial to them about their temple, about the earth, about death itself, all these things are being kind of messed up a little bit because Jesus raising from the dead is something that was supposed to get everyone's attention. And for those who were willing to see it, they say in verse 54, surely he was the Son of God. And of course we would say, yes, yes, he is the Son of God. And he died so that we can have forgiveness of sins. Now, of course, we see that, you know, we've already looked that Jesus is going to rise up from the dead. We're not going to look at that today, okay? That, that's going to be something we're going to keep until 
next week. And we're going to look at how Jesus raised it from the dead and what that means to us. Kind of the, the huge significance of that on kind of Easter Sunday. We're going to take a look at that Easter story and what it means that Jesus raised it from the dead and how important that is for each and every single one of us. I want to look at one final passage, though, that speaks about these saints of old. And it comes to us at the end of Hebrews chapter 11. You remember that chapter that is full of examples of great men and women of faith. Hebrews 11 is full of all of these stories. But as you get to the very end, there's something kind of odd that is stated that I can't help but connect it with these saints of old who were raised up from the dead. Because you look at all of these lists in Hebrews 11 and you get to the very end. And in verses 39 and 40 of Hebrews 11, we read, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now, I don't know exactly how all these things work together and how this passage completely connects with the other one, but I feel that there is a connection. I believe that there is a connection in these statements. And we see that there is something about the time period in which we are living, that we are fulfilling this story, that we are helping helping to make the story of the saints of old be made perfect or made complete because we are continuing on this story. Those people in this chapter of Hebrews 11, uh, they didn't receive what they had been promised, but we are receiving the promises. We have seen these things. And now we see in chapter 12 of Hebrews, it starts off and it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I would believe this has to do with all of those who have died before us, that they are this cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. What do we do about that? Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We are called to fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's keep doing that. Let's realize that we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. They are cheering us on, and we are called to cheer one another on. Let's keep running this race, always fixing our eyes on Jesus and following him every single day of our lives. I love you, Lord, so I want to be baptized and wash my sins away. I love you, Lord, so I want to be baptized and then I can be saved. I love you, Lord, so I want to be baptized. With Jesus I'll be raised. I love you, Lord, so I want to be baptized. Giving God the praise and I'll be born. Sins away. I love the Lord, so my friend, I've been baptized. I'm now among 
Lord, so my friend, I've been baptized. With Jesus, I've been raised. I love the Lord, so my friend, I've been baptized. Giving God, Giving God the praise, and I've been born again. Born of the water and the Spirit, and I've been born again. Washed in the blood of the Lamb, and I've been born again. Walking in a life of forgiveness, and I've been born again. Yes, born again. A child of God I am. I love you, friends. Won't you come and be baptized and wash your sins away? I love you, friend. Won't you come and be baptized and then you can be saved? I love you, friend. Won't you come and be baptized? With Jesus, you'll be raised. I love you, friend. Won't you come and be baptized? Giving God, Giving God the praise, and you'll be born again. Born of the Father and the Spirit, and you'll be born again. Wash in the blood of the Lamb, and you'll be born again. Walking in a life of forgiveness, and you'll be born Yes, born again, obeying Christ the Lamb.